Welcome to Making the Most of Time with me, Elliot Apple. I'm a financial planner and caregiver. To give you a little background, my dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer when I was 25. Our world was changed instantly, and it's been a constant state of change ever since. Since then, I've been learning about the intersection of money, health, and loss, personally and professionally. This is a place to explore money, loss, and grief. It's about making the most of time, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, and financially. There are no taboo topics, no question is off limits. These conversations are for people like you, people who are about to lose a significant other, widows, caregivers, and anybody affected by a major health event. I'm glad you're here. So with that, let's start making the most of time. Today we're talking about beneficiaries. I know it's not everybody's favorite topic, but it's a really important one because it's where mistakes often go wrong and they're often easily preventable. So with that, let's get into it. Are your beneficiaries correct? Are you sure? Because beneficiary mistakes can be one of the most costly and heartbreaking mistakes in financial planning. Plus, they're easy to make. Someone gets married or divorced and forgets to update a retirement account beneficiary. An account is open quickly, naming one child as the beneficiary, but they forget to update it later to all their children. A beneficiary is named in conflict with the will or trust. Or no beneficiary is named because they think they are covered by their will, failing to account for the tax consequences and administrative burden of not naming a primary beneficiary. Alternatively, someone adds a transfer on death designation to an investment account that is in conflict with their will, causing one beneficiary to receive far more of an inheritance than intended. Beneficiary mistakes happen. They can cause incredible family issues, emotionally and financially. Let's talk about how and when to review your beneficiaries, how to coordinate your beneficiaries with your estate plan, the difference between primary and contingent beneficiaries, the difference between per stirpes and per capita beneficiary designations, who is generally not a good idea to name as a beneficiary, and the advantages and disadvantages of naming a trust as a beneficiary. The first step in deciding if your beneficiaries are correct is to review them, all of them. I emphasize all of them because it's easy to forget accounts open 20 years ago, an old 401k you didn't know you had, or a small bank account you don't use regularly. These can lead to beneficiary mistakes. So how do you review your beneficiaries to avoid beneficiary mistakes? Identify all of your accounts and ask the custodian for your latest beneficiary form. In today's digital world, I still prefer asking for a copy of the latest beneficiary form. Many custodians will list your beneficiaries online, but I've seen mistakes where what was listed online does not match the actual signed beneficiary form. In the case of death, the custodian is likely going to use the signed form, not what is listed online. The form is the legally binding document, not the online information. After you have a copy of the beneficiary form, does everything look correct? Is everybody listed by name and not all my children? If someone died, were they removed and a new form submitted? If someone had children, are those children included? Reviewing your beneficiaries is the first step in avoiding costly beneficiary mistakes. When do you review your beneficiaries? I'm amazed by how frequently life or tax laws can change. I generally suggest reviewing beneficiaries every few years or anytime a major life event occurs, such as a marriage, divorce, birth of a child, death, etc. These events are good times to add or remove beneficiaries as needed. If you think no major life event has occurred that warrants updating your beneficiaries, Reviewing them every few years will hopefully help you catch any life events you may have missed. Another good time to review beneficiaries is when any major legislation is passed that could impact estate planning or tax laws. Although a long 
time can pass between major legislation, there are times when major legislation occurs every couple of years, impacting plans that have been in place for decades. In 2019, the SECURE Act was passed, which changed how beneficiaries could take distributions from an inherited retirement accounts. It was a major piece of legislation where it would have been wise to review your beneficiaries and estate plan to make sure your beneficiaries were accurate. If you haven't looked at it recently, you may want to. Reviewing your beneficiaries regularly should help avoid common beneficiary mistakes. Do your beneficiaries follow your estate plan? It's really important to understand that naming a beneficiary trumps your estate plan. An IRA beneficiary, transfer on death, TOD designation, or payable on death, POD designation overrides anything said in your will for that specific account. For example, if your will says everything you own will go to your daughter Sue when you die, but you put your son Adam as the 100% primary beneficiary on your retirement accounts and put a payable on death designation on your bank accounts naming Adam, he will receive your accounts when you die, not Sue. This is a very common mistake. People either think their will can take care of everything and don't put beneficiaries, or they put beneficiaries on accounts that conflict with what their will says. Your beneficiaries need to be coordinated with your estate plan. One of the first things I suggest people do is to review what their attorney suggested for beneficiaries when they completed their will. Often, the attorney provides a cover letter that is one or two pages that says to update beneficiaries and they list the certain language that should be used. It's not an actual part of the will, but a supplemental write-up prepared by the attorney. One of the most common beneficiary mistakes I see is people adding payable on death or transfer on death designations to investment or bank accounts to avoid probate, but then that beneficiary designation overrides a key planning strategy inside of the will. There are times where it makes sense to add a POD or TOD designation to investment or bank accounts, but it should be something that is discussed with an estate planning attorney to make sure it is the best strategy. You don't want to do all this great planning and then blow it up with signing a form that doesn't actually do what you want it to. To help avoid beneficiary mistakes, understand why your beneficiaries are listed on each account and how that coordinates with your will. Primary versus contingent beneficiary. What's the difference? First, let's define primary beneficiary and contingent beneficiary because it will help you understand the difference between per stirpes and per capita, which I'll discuss later. These are important terms to understand because the order in which people die and how you list beneficiaries can have a profound impact on who receives what. The primary beneficiary is the persons or organizations who receive assets first. If you die, the primary beneficiary is first in line to receive them. The contingent beneficiary is the person or organizations who is next in line to receive assets if no primary beneficiaries are still alive. How does this actually work in practice? Let's say you name your three children, Neil, Sarah, and Jasmine, as each one-third primary beneficiaries. You also name your two grandkids, Elena and Simon, as 50% contingent beneficiaries. And Simon in this, and Elena in this case are Sarah's kids. Neil and Jasmine don't have kids. So let's go through a, different, a few different scenarios to see how this works out. Let's say all three kids are alive. If you die today while Neil, Sarah, and Jasmine are alive, the three kids, they each get one third of the account. Simon and Elena, the grandkids, receive nothing. What happens if one kid is deceased? In this scenario, let's say Sarah passes away, but Neil and Jasmine are still alive. Neil and Jasmine will each receive 50% of the account. Sarah receives nothing, but she is deceased, and her two kids also receive nothing because her remaining share goes to the other primary beneficiaries. Elena and Simon, as contingent beneficiaries, only receive money if all the primary beneficiaries die before them. Now, what happens if two kids are deceased? If Sarah and Neil both pass away, but Jasmine is living, she will receive 100% of the account. And finally, what happens if all three kids are deceased? 
Since all three kids are deceased, and Elena and Simon, the grandkids, are still living, they split the account 50-50. Since nobody knows when they will pass away, it's vital to understand who receives what under different scenarios. Let's talk about per stirpes and per capita beneficiary designations to build on your understanding. I'm going to define per stirpes and per capita first, and then follow up with an example to make it more clear, because I know these are confusing concepts. Per stirpes is a Latin term, meaning by branch. You can think of per stirpes as following your family's line or lineal descendants, if a beneficiary dies before the original owner. Per capita is a Latin term meaning by head. You can think of per capita as the inheritance being split among the remaining beneficiaries if a beneficiary dies before the original owner. So how does this work in practice? Looking at per stirpes, let's introduce a new family in a new scenario here. Let's say there are two kids, Megan and Joy. Megan has three kids, Paul, Eric, and Maria. Joy has two kids, Riley and Ashley. Let's look at a per stirpes example with percentages and dollar figures to make it easier to track. In this example, Megan and Joy, the two kids, are each named 50% primary beneficiaries of a $1 million account. Now let's say Joy passes away before you. After you pass away, and assuming everyone else is still living, Megan gets her half, or $500,000. Then, Riley and Ashley split what would have been Joy's half. Riley and Ashley each get one-fourth, or $250,000 each. Remember, per stirpes follows the family line, which is why Riley and Ashley split Joy's portion. If Megan and Joy had both passed before you, Riley and Ashley would have received the same amount, $250,000 each, because they still share in Joy's 50% share. However, Paul, Eric, and Maria would have each received approximately 16.6%, or approximately $166,666. Now, let's look at a per capita example. Continuing with the same people, let's look at how per capita would change the distributions. In this scenario, Megan and Joy both pass before you, leaving the five grandkids to receive distributions. Instead of Riley and Ashley getting 25% each, and Paul, Eric, and Maria each receiving approximately 16.6% each, each grandkid would receive 20%, or $200,000 in the per capita example. Since you selected per capita, the kids' shares don't follow down the lineal line, but instead are split by the heads remaining. In this case, five grandkids remain, which means they split the 100% which is why they each receive 20% of the $1 million. Choosing a per stirpes or per capita beneficiary designation is a complicated process. The order in which people die and what you select presents many different scenarios and how much someone could receive. It's really important to consult with an estate planning attorney to make sure that if you select per stirpes or per capita, the distributions will happen as you intend. Who should you generally not name as beneficiaries? Although I'm not a fan of general rules when it comes to financial planning, there are a few beneficiaries most people generally do not name for good reasons. There are, of course, always exceptions, which is why you should talk with your own professional experts. But with that, naming a minor beneficiary as a beneficiary is usually not a good idea for two reasons. One, minors can't receive money because they're not adults. Two, most inheritances are turned over to them at the age of majority, often age 18 or 21. Since minors are by definition not adults, money can't actually be released directly to them. It's normally released to a custodian for the benefit of a minor. If your will or beneficiary form does not specify a custodian, a court has to appoint a guardian, which can be expensive and time-consuming. On top of that, if a minor is named, they receive funds at the age of majority. Most people are not comfortable handing over a large sum of money to an 18 or 21-year-old. Imagine if you died with a million dollars and your child received it at age 18. Would they use it responsibly? There are young adults who could handle money responsibly at age 18 or 21, 
but I find most people would feel better if they receive funds later in their 20s or 30s. Generally, a trust is a better way to handle inheritances for minors because you can name who is the trustee of the trust and when distributions can occur. I'll talk about this more in a later section. Disabled beneficiaries usually are not a good choice to name as a beneficiary because if they are qualifying for government assistance or may in the future, an outright inheritance may disqual disqualify them from government assistance. Usually people in this circumstance will set up a special needs trust to allow a disabled person to still benefit from the trust while qualifying for government benefits. Special needs trusts can also help minimize the chance that a disabled person is taken advantage of by other people. Financial abuse is not uncommon. If you think a special needs trust may help, it's important to work with an estate planning attorney and possibly a financial planner who specializes in that area. Naming your estate as a beneficiary of an account is usually not preferable too, because then the assets go through probate. Depending on your state, this could be an expensive and time-consuming process. I'm originally from Washington State, and probate there is a fairly inexpensive and short process compared to that of many other states. In contrast, California attorneys can charge a percentage of the estate value, which can be really expensive. For example, probate might cost a few thousand dollars, usually billed based on an hourly rate in Washington State for most estates. Let's just use a million dollar estate as an example. In contrast, in California, it might cost $23,000 for that same estate because they may charge 4% on the first $100,000, 3% on the next $100,000, and 2% on the next $800,000. This is why if you ever meet someone from California, they almost always try to put every asset they can into a trust to avoid probate. Naming a beneficiary avoids probate, which means assets can usually be distributed faster and with less in fees. What about naming a trust as a beneficiary? Naming a trust as a beneficiary can be a smart strategy, but it must be done properly and regularly reviewed to make sure what was intended in the original planning still applies as laws change. I told you earlier how having a trust for a minor beneficiary is helpful, but it can also be helpful for adults who struggle with money. Since you can customize your trust, you can control when distributions are made, how much can be distributed, and who controls the trust to make the distributions. For people with family members prone to gambling, substance abuse, or other money problems, a trust can help prevent access to the money outright and spending it in harmful ways. A trust can also be helpful to protect financial assets from creditors and divorce. For example, if you had a child or grandchild who is in a career where they are more likely to be sued, you may want to consider an irrevocable trust to add another layer of protection. The downside of naming a trust as a beneficiary is that taxes can be higher because trusts are taxed at different rates than individuals. The tax rates tend to be higher at much lower levels of income, too. Plus, you may have to file a trust tax return in addition to your own personal income tax return. It's another layer of complexity, administration, and potentially fees. Also, if you're naming a trust as the beneficiary of an IRA, there are very specific requirements to follow to make it a see-through trust, which can provide more favorable distribution rules. Naming a trust as a beneficiary allows for more control, but it can also come with less favorable tax consequences and a higher administrative burden. Each individual should talk with a knowledgeable estate planning attorney to decide if naming a trust as a beneficiary makes sense. Final thoughts and a question for you. You can make the best investment and financial planning decisions in the world, but if you don't get your beneficiaries right, all that planning could be thrown out the window. Most people want to control who receives their money when they die, and beneficiary forms are one method of making sure that happens. It's important to review your beneficiaries regularly, at least every few years, or as major life changes happen. Ask your custodian or financial institution for your latest beneficiary forms, and make sure you have them for all accounts. You don't want to miss an account. From there, understand who is named and the various scenarios of who could receive what depending on who passes away first. 
make sure the beneficiary form works in coordination with your estate plan. So it's often where things go wrong. You don't want your beneficiary form overriding important planning in your will, and you also don't want your will doing the heavy lifting if a beneficiary form is a better method to distribute assets. If you're tempted to name a minor, disabled individual, or your estate as a beneficiary, think twice. It's generally not advisable, which is why it's important to talk with an estate planning attorney specific to your situation. Naming a trust as a beneficiary can help provide control, but it does come with worse tax consequences and more record keeping. You'll need to weigh the pros and cons of naming a trust as a beneficiary. I'll leave you with one question to act on. When will you review all your beneficiaries? Elliot Apple is an investment advisor representative of Kindness Financial Planning, LLC. However, in hosting this podcast, Elliot is not acting as an investment advisor representative individually or on behalf of Kindness Financial Planning. The information and opinions in this podcast are for general, informational, and educational purposes only and should not be considered investment, financial, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and such opinions are subject to change. No representation is made as to the completeness or accuracy of the information presented. Any past performance referenced is historical and no guarantee of future results. All indices referenced are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. All investments involve a certain level of risk. You should carefully consider if an investment is suitable for you before making an investment. Please consult your legal, financial, and other professionals to determine what may be appropriate for you.